This episode is unusual. A few days after I recorded the walk, I received a message from Emma, who you may know from the World Poetry Podcast. And it so beautifully summed up what I was trying to talk about. So I've attached that message, previously a private message, now for all of you, to the front of this podcast. Enjoy. One of the most frustrating things that occurs on Signal is when I'm pressing the mic button and it doesn't record what I initially said. And then by the time I realize it happens, all that emotion in the first section of my speaking is gone, like a cloud, and (laughs) then I'm sad that it's gone. But what I was going to say is that my grandparents and their belongings, everything is so sentimental. You ask my grandfather about a fork in the garage or a watch in this one part of the house or this rug or or anything great, big, small, whatever, and he'll tell you a story of how in 18, I'm sorry, 1971, he went to this birthday party where someone he loved used that fork and after that something funny happened and it was a memento of remembrance and each little thing has a meaning and a love and a care and a joy behind it and it's so painful to let go of those things while they are in the mind they're not always on the forefront of the mind so it's so wonderful to see these things that passing and regale the joys of that moment and while my grandparents are cresting their 80s it's hard to be able to manage all the projects and the things that he and she have gathered over the years my grandfather has 20s 10s 20s 30 little black notebooks with measurements from different houses Every time they've moved, he will mark boxes with every single item in those boxes and where they are. Absolutely anal retentive, collecting data, collecting information, so he remembers where it is, what it was. But they have to downsize. They want to move. They want to make their life a little easier, but then that requires them to leave things behind. And these memories and these belongings are attached to one another in addition to acknowledging that they don't have in them what they used to have in them and they're codependent on their children and their grandchildren to do simple tasks like change the five gallon water container. My grandpa has a hard enough time keeping up with his roses, but that's what he wants to spend his time doing. And the rose garden is becoming too much even now. 
and that is painful to see because he delights so much in it he my grandmother pulled a muscle or hurt something in her groin and so she limps around now when it's sore and that's really hard to see because oftentimes in the past she's been faster than I we went on a bike ride this morning and that was so lovely even remarking upon the weather for 30 minutes and how the shade hits the trees and the houses in the neighborhood that are for sale which ones that are perfect to move into which ones are ugly is delicately wonderful to me and I'm emotional right now because I'm upset we had hot dogs and hamburgers for lunch on my grandpa's grill that he enjoys my grandma made corn and put dill seasoning on it and we had a bunch of mayonnaise and mustard and pickles and we bonded over sour foods and my grandma and I slept together in the same bed soundly as we do most times we visit one another and that won't be forever I'd like to invite you on a walk. I just spent the better part of three weeks contemplating and executing the first part of a move. Most of my things I have either given to others or gotten rid of. This is fairly familiar to me. I've moved many times and most of the things I have owned or been associated with, I have parted with. Besides a moment in my 20s that was characterized by owning more and more things, culminating in a townhome full of appliances and other stuff. In the last five years, most of the things I own were either found or given to me, besides a few things. And it's always interesting seeing the effect that has. When I was 23, I made a move and there was not enough space for all my books. 
and there wasn't a place to donate those books to in time before the move. So I ended up dumping boxes and boxes of books. And I cried. Some part of me was attached to, was imbued in those books, just as they are in all the objects around me. And you can see this in how people relate to their things. The classic joke about male identity and their trucks or cars, equating them with their penis, is reflected in this pattern of equating yourself with your things. Assuming that you can be put into all these objects, that you can be contained by all these objects, and that your worth is signified by everything you've collected, which is appropriate since it appears that money started as a form of collecting things that took on symbolic value. And now we do this with hobbies. We do this with aspects of identity. They turn into objects, much like the material objects we're surrounded by, and we identify with them so that if they are lost or we part with them, it is seen somehow as a diminishing. And so we hold tightly to our objects, to our things, A bicycle is not just a bicycle. It was a symbol of a relationship you had with your father, perhaps, that it was given to you. Perhaps a painting is a painting you remember clearly during a conversation you had with your ex-wife, and so it has value. And you wonder if you will remember these things, if you will have yourself, if you lose these things, if your identity as a continuous individual entity will continue without these things that you used as props for this entity, for this character in a play of your own devising. It's easy to see that not only do we do this with material things, but we also do this with spirituality. When we identify a faith or a ritual with ourselves, with a thing to be had, to be gained, to be identified with, to be conquered. We also do this with our relationships. It is the most common form of relationship in post-industrial society. 
you craft a thing, an object in your mind, of what a partner, a husband, a wife, a girlfriend, a boyfriend will be, and then you find someone to stuff into that object, into that thing, and use them as a prop for the entity that is you. This is valuable because inevitably we will be disappointed because we are not things, we are not objects, we are something more sublime, greater perhaps, more mysterious, unknowable. And so when we do this to each other, for the most part, we surprise each other. And when we surprise each other, we feel pain, disappointment, a sense of loss and bitterness. And in those feelings, in that pain, we might discover a little more of what the other person actually is. That they are not this object, that they are greater than this object. And as long as you can stay with them, as long as you can stick with them wherever they are, you've now discovered something far greater than any object you've created. Far more powerful, far more vast, far more mysterious. And you've also seen that when you get fixated on objects like these, that you can be very determined. The selective attention that you use to keep up the illusion of what you expect yourself and the other person to be, what you expect the relationship to be, that is a powerful thing. That kind of selective attention can be used to create. And that kind of determination, as in the determination of an addict, can also be used to create, can be used to create the love that you might feel for whatever is behind the object. Because it will take determination and it will take work to create the kind of love that can be sustained in the face of constant change and suffering. So it's beautiful, in a way, that our things, our objects, bring us to each other and bring us to the, the bigger environment when they disappoint us. One of the things they try to teach you as a medic is something that cannot actually be taught. To specify as a medic in the army. That is, one day, often in fact, you're not going to have all the medical equipment that you would expect to have when you're responding to an emergency. And because of that, you need the ability to MacGyver solutions, to use the environment to come up with something that will make do in your task. The classic example from a medical context is using a stick as a splint, tearing up a t-shirt to use to bandage someone. But there might be 
other examples that are more rare perhaps that are tied to whatever local environment you're in the better you know your environment the easier it is for you to adapt that environment to your purposes so that when you have a thing when you have a IV bag say that you are reliant on and you are miles away from that in some tropical area and you run out of IV bags your dependence on the thing shows you what the task of the thing is underneath and knowing the task knowing that you need to get sterile fluids into a human being with that IV bag containing something like saline solution then what you might do is notice that a coconut is fairly sterile and the liquid within it can be used in the same way that a glucose salt form formulation might be used to replenish hydration for people and you might use that instead a solution from the local environment one that you can adapt to at any point because you understand your relationship with the environment through the failings of the thing or object you were dependent on. In this case, being dependent on the IV bag and then losing it or not having enough of it forces you to better understand the IV bag's purpose and figure out how you had it in you all along to come up with a solution just using the environment. So when you're confronted with your own fixation on the object of a goal, an ambition, an identity, or a relationship with another human being, you can use the pain, the frustration of them not fitting in of you not fitting in with your expectations by looking at the relationship you have with what, whatever that object is that you've made that fantasy and seeing how you can actually provide whatever that is because you are one with the environment and the object in the first place came from the environment and there's more objects where that came from whenever you would like to come up with more objects. But moreover, that you can deal more directly with the environment. So, in the context of a relationship, if you feel like someone is not providing you with a reciprocal amount of attention or affection or acceptance or freedom you might notice that you can actually provide these things for yourself mostly and that if you're looking if you have this sense of adaptation you can actually find it or craft it anywhere in the same way that if you really needed a splint or a bandage you could figure out how to create that almost anywhere you are and being the sort of person that can do that, that can just seemingly magically look at an environment and see how you can complete a task using it with barely any 
specific objects that you've brought, and that makes you valuable. In the context of relationships, that makes you lovable. If you have the ability to love people no matter what they give you. And it might not appear that way in the short term, but in the long term, people will notice your resourcefulness if you are able to come up with tools, if you're able to come up with new ways to love people in every situation, people will recognize that. And you end up getting a much more stable version of the object in the first place. Or we might say, not wanting the object, not wanting the specific thing, you figure out how to meet the needs that that object was meeting before. If you were dependent on a church or a pastor for your salvation and reaching for that object over and over again found disappointment, you could use that disappointment to realize that there is nothing to save in the first place that you have always been in your own way just as everyone else is innocent and perfect as you are and that need for acknowledgement can come directly from you or God or nature however you wish to see that and the underlying need for the object the right the authority figure the institution is no longer there because the underlying need was one of say spiritual oneness and realizing that you don't absolutely need the institution anymore which does not mean that you can't relate with it but now instead of going to it in the same way that you might go to get your fix of coffee in the morning. You can go at it from a place of abundance, from a place where you are wondering what you can give the institution, instead of going there to get some sort of forgiveness or acceptance from it. Having accepted yourself, you can now grow the institution to give more to others. I'm reminded of Taoist influence paintings and the contrast with Baroque paintings or Gothic paintings. The difference between focusing on a clear and well-defined object and a landscape often or some other natural scene mixed with a built scene where both things in the Taoist influenced paintings mostly of China but also in Japan both things are shrouded in mist and fog so that it's hard to tell where the environment begins and where the object ends.
we're often in this transitionary, in this liminal space between the two. But the more we focus on the object, the more we make it well-defined, but the more well-defined it is, the more certain we can be that it is entirely a product of our minds. Which means that when it comes up against the rest of the environment, or even the vaster recesses of our minds, for what is the difference, that there will be some sort of disappointment. And that disappointment actually helps us figure out a little more of where we might be. So, I give you this object as a gift. It's yours, and it's mine. Oh.